Welcome to the Geek and I podcast. My name is John, and we are part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Visit them online at geeknewsnow.net for all your geeky news and information. We are sponsored this week by Sumner Twins Talent. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sumner Twins. And let me bring in my co-host, Jeff Dickinson of the Collector Zone. Jeff, how are you this week? Dude, almost excellent. Thank you once again for having me on for another killer show. All right, and we have a great, great guest lined up today. Why don't you do your uh, introduction and let's, let's meet this gentleman. Man, this dude's killer. Check this out. He is like the ultimate collector. He creates his own movie cars. We're talking exact replicas. We're talking about the kit car from Knight Rider, 18 van, the Echo One from Ghostbusters. But most importantly, we're talking about Back to the Future, the DeLorean. Let's welcome to the show, Video Bob. Hey, hey what's going on? How are you, sir? Hey. Right Doing on. Pretty man. good. Waiting for the end of the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, pretty, he's pretty good at that intro stuff, isn't he? <laughs> I try. But Bob, video Bob, we have one question that's been burning our audiences. This is about your passion, the thing that clicked in your head the moment you said, I'm doing this. I'm going to create exact replicas of movie cards. We're talking like the Echo. We're talking about like the Back to the Future DeLorean. What? Take us back to that moment in time where you said, you know what? <clears throat> this is my thing. And I'm going to make it happen. Tell us about that story. I think it 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 emanated originally just out of sarcasm. I uh, bought a DeLorean car in 2003. Uh, I was watching Discovery Channel. Remember that show Monster Garage with Jesse James? Mm-hmm. That was my favorite show because I liked fabrication. At the time, I was working as a chief engineer for a television network, and I was building um, mobile video production trucks, and I had invented some things for the video industry. So I was capable with metal fabrication, electronics and things. I worked on uh, VTRs and cameras and things for a living. So I knew how to work on electronics. And uh, I'm watching this show and the particular episode, everybody had these DeLoreans that they were customizing. And I thought, wow, that would be a really cool car, stainless steel car, the Back to the Future car. So I found one locally for sale in Dallas and I bought it uh, for, I think I paid 14 grand for that car. And this was in 2003. So uh, the thing is, when you have a DeLorean everywhere you go, people just make Back to the Future jokes. And I literally heard this exact phrase a thousand times. People would come up to me like they were just the, the, the biggest comedian ever, and they'd go, hey, McFly, where's your flux capacitor? <laughs> <clears throat> so I said, I know what I'm going to do to fix these morons i went out into the back and i got myself an electrical enclosure i looked at the movie i made a flux capacitor i put it in the car plugged it in the cigarette lighter and i'd go here it is butthead and they'd go oh my god he's actually got a flux capacitor in the car it's the time machine so i kept going out in the garage and making more and more parts i made the plutonium gauges that went into the glove compartment and then i made the upper console and then i i made uh, you know but I didn't do any destruction to the car. You know, I was too afraid. I mean, I had that car for probably four years before I ever drilled a hole in it, you know. And then uh, I had met uh, Roger Staubach, the, the Dallas Cowboy, who's a real estate guy. 
And he said, uh, I love the car. I'm doing a thing called Staubach to the future. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you like 500 bucks if you'll bring the car to this event. And I was like, okay. And so what I did was I, I went in the backyard and I mocked up the rear vents and things for the car out of like MDF and wood and spray painted it and hot glue. And I made the stuff for the outside of the car and just like taped it to the car. It was so bad, right? <laughs> but it kind of it kind of got me going, and the 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 response was overwhelming. And I met somebody who actually from a Walmart Corporation, and they said we would like you to bring this to our corporate headquarters in Bentonville. We would like to use it for a video with our CFO and CEO of Sam's Club, and we will pay you. Wow! And a light, light bulb went off in my head. I go, you know what? <laughs> I think people would pay me to show up with this DeLorean. <clears throat> now, of course, I was a fan of Back to the Future, of course. But I'm not going to lie. It was more of a uh, light bulb moment almost as a business idea because I saw this really fun opportunity in the entertainment business to, to rent props. And I realized that I was really good at building these things. So I started working on the car, kept getting it better and better. Then I added a Knight Rider car to the fleet uh, about 2004. So I had a Knight Rider, I had the DeLorean, and, um, and that's just kind of how it started. Now, I just had the one car up until uh, 2010. 2009, I got divorced, as does happen. And when that happens, you generally have to get rid of everything you own because that's just what happens. So I sold the car. But that's when another light bulb moment went off. Because this car that I had spent 15 grand on, let's say, I sold the car for $45,000. Uh, this was 10 years ago. Nice. And uh, I was like, I can't believe how much money I got for this DeLorean because the average DeLorean back then was going for 20 grand tops. People weren't spending that much on a DeLorean. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I had sold the car, I'd put up an ad on YouTube and on MySpace. Remember MySpace? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but I took the money and I opened up a restaurant in downtown Deep Ellum, uh, downtown Dallas. Uh, it's the restaurant or the, the bar is still there. It's called Reno's Chop Shop. But I had the restaurant there. It was Reno's Bar and Grill. And we were open for less than a year, but we did really well. And I ended up selling the restaurant for profit. But the reason I got out of the restaurant was a couple of reasons. But, well, for one, if you've ever ran a restaurant, don't. Um <laughs> But for months, I would get, my phone would ring. I would get emails from people who had seen the ad for the car and was like, is the car still available? I'll buy it right now. I want the car. And there was this dude uh, in Canada kept calling me, says, you know, dude, I want everything you got. You know, I want this Knight Rider. I want the DeLorean. I go, dude, it's gone. I don't have it. He said, just make it again. No one does this. You're the only person I've ever seen. to do. No one's ever done this. And, uh, he said, man, I will wire you. What do you want? 80 grand? I'll wire it to you today. Let's just make this happen. And I'm sitting there printing out the receipts for my $2 hot dogs and stuff. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm only making like 10 grand a month in sales at this restaurant. Like I'm, you know, even with perfect food costs, what am I walking away with? A couple grand a month. This is not going to fly. I'm making hamburgers like I was when I was 16 working at Jack in the Box. So I was like, I'm going to open up a shop and build a start building these cars and that was in uh, the end of 2009 by the time i had built the first car or rather the second if you want to call it that and as soon as i put up pictures out of that thing it went viral 
and people were calling me for Cars 3 and 4 and 5. So it's literally been that way ever since November 2009 when I opened the shop. I've had a standing list of orders to build cars. So since that time, by the way, I started off renting one bay of this five-bay building. I now own the entire building outright. It's mine. Nice. And we built 35 DeLorean time machines. We've built, I don't know, seven or eight Bluesmobiles, uh, seven or eight uh, Night Riders. And I say seven or eight because I can't remember them all. I'd have to count them all. We've done, um, and we did a bunch of other cars because, you know, I'm kind of skipping ahead. 2014, I did my own television show called Screen Machines on the Reels channel. Um, we only did six episodes of that. and We did a different car every episode. But then a company called TCB Meteorites bought it and took it international through Discovery Networks. So it was a big hit in like Singapore and Malaysia and Brazil and New Zealand and France and Australia. But I didn't get a lot of fame here, unfortunately. But it was big overseas. I didn't realize how big it was till me and my wife went to Sydney, Australia last year. <laughs> and people were, you know, running up to us, asking us for autographs. And, and uh, we're like, what the hell is going on? We went into a bar and there's the show on TV opening up for Gas Monkey on Discovery Channel. It was a prime time show. <laughs> Blew me away. I had no idea. I, I don't get result. I don't get residuals or anything. You know, they the, the thing about reality shows is that that uh, they pay you a few shekels and then that's it. You don't get anything, mm -hmm. um, and you have no control. Like David Hasselhoff going to Australia. Yeah, it's like when David Hasselhoff goes to. Well, the thing you know, David Hasselhoff is famous everywhere. That's not a good example. Here, nobody really recognizes me. You know, I did the TV show Pawn Stars a few times, and people recognized me from that. Um, I did a show called Auction Kings on Discovery Channel. So, um, and that was really one of the keys to my kind of, I guess, success is that I would use the vehicles as a tool to get myself onto other shows for self-promotion. You know, the Pawn Stars, you know, they would have me on with uh, the Ghostbuster Proton Pack that we build or the the time machine i went on there with the uh back to the future sports almanac mm -hmm. um so i've you been on there no no we we sold it we did a charity auction for michael j fox foundation we raised eighty five hundred dollars for it very cool right on. But, cool. you when, know and go ahead go ahead when when you when you do a show like pawn stars do do they contact you or do you do, are you like in vegas and you walk in and say you know i, I want to sell this and they like Hold up, let's get the cameras. No, no, that's that's not how it works. You you write them, you say, this is what I have. Uh, one of their producers will write you back and say, okay, we're interested in the item, we're interested in you. Um, this is the day we're going to do it. Uh, be there at this time. They don't pay you. Um, they will sometimes put you up in a room if uh, it's a two-day thing, like if their ex expert isn't available the same day. Because <clears throat> I think the last time I was on, they put me up at the D Hotel on Fremont for some, I forget why. I, I think it was because they needed, they changed the day to the next day or something. And they, you know, but they don't pay you to be on. And it is a legitimate pawn shop transaction, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but it's so the negotiation is all ad libbed, it's all genuine. Uh, the only thing is that you have to do some production work. For instance, they'll say, okay, we just need you to, uh, we need close-ups of you pointing at things, or we need 
we need another shot of you walking through the door. Just things like that. Yeah, B-roll stuff. But they don't tell you what to say or what to do or anything like that. I mean, it's a true negotiation. They are actual pawn dealers. They do actually purchase the item, pay you cash, and give you a real receipt. That all happens. But what a lot of people don't understand is when I was on the show, the first, you know, I think I was on the eighth season, and they were still shooting in the store. Well, it got to be such a problem shooting in the store because what they would have to do is kick everybody out, have a security guard stand at the door, they would handpick shoppers to mull around the <laughs> store and make no noise. Like in that one episode, you could see my wife and, and my friend pretending to shop for wedding rings over there. <laughs> and so what they did was they, and they probably don't want me to say this, they built an entire replica of the pawn shop in a building behind the pawn shop. So you go yeah, through the back of the pawn shop into a warehouse that has been made to look exactly like the pawn shop. <clears throat> it's got a bunch so is of. Is that where they used to drive the cars through? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, it could be because, um, you know, you go down the hallway in there if you've ever been in there, and um, they have an exact replica. And the way you can tell, you can tell right away because the front door is a fake door. You know, it's just a frosted door. It doesn't have an. Uh, it doesn't have hinges on it or a handle. Doesn't have any cars driving by. It's like it's so obvious that it's a fake door, and all the merchandise in it is lame. You know, it's like they just put in some empty boxes and cheap watches and stuff. You know, the 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 original one was very cluttered. I mean, they had it's packed, and if you ever go to the pawn shop in Vegas, you have to wait in line to get in, and you go through there, and it's just full of tchotchkes, and mostly the stuff they sell is like Chumley shirts, but you know, they they needed to do this not to fool the audience, but because uh, you know, they can't shut down the store selling right. shirt, you know, while they shoot all day. So I don't consider it to be disingenuous. But, um, you know, the thing is, is you're the expert, the buddy is standing over there drinking a Starbucks, you know, on his phone waiting to be called. And he goes, OK, I'm going to call an expert. And he comes walking over. We're not waiting for this dude to drive from the uh -huh. museum. He's standing over there waiting like this for him to come over. They So that's all pre-planned but uh you know i i don't think that that takes away from the actual genuine nature of the show the expert opinion is the expert opinion mm -hmm. it's you know it's just he just happens to be there i don't understand the whole purpose of all the fakery though of i hated it when we did my tv show on my tv show you know i had this director and i used to fight with him every episode because we would take a car that i already owned we would go put it in a junkyard and then I would pretend to go and buy it. <coughs> so what was the point of that, right? He would create <laughs> fake customers that were actors, you know. Uh, so he's like, like, we did the Scarface car episode. Now, I already had this 1963 Cadillac. It was sitting in my parking lot. But what we did for the TV show is we took the car to a junkyard, threw leaves on top of it. Then I go to the junkyard and negotiate for it and buy it, bring it back to my shop. And then the buyer for the car was actually uh, Chi-Chi, the, the guy who played Chi-Chi, Angel Salazar, from, uh, who was in the movie Scarface, because I know him, he's a comedian. But he didn't actually buy the car. I still have the car. It's at my shop. You know, it's up on a rack at my shop. And I used to argue with him. I go, why can't we just, why can't the show just be, I'm Video Bob. I got a 1963 Cadillac. We're going to build it into the Scarface car. That's the episode. But right. all, all of these reality shows, they have to have this, 
bunch of fakery happen. And it's so funny that they call it a reality show. Nothing real happens <laughs> on a reality show. Right. The only thing that really happened is we really built the car. Everything else, total BS. So when you when you car, do when you <clears throat> go ahead, John. When you do build a car, like um, like say this one here, I have a little uh, picture here. So when you're building kit, mm-hmm. what you're you're looking at photos of the original? Are you visiting like if there's a um, the actual screen used one? Are you just guessing or are you, you know, and where do you get all these parts? And like that steering wheel, is that manufactured by you or does somebody make that already? Well, you know, there's such a big fan community of all these different things that we all work together. So you don't have to make stuff as much as you used to have to. Um, Back in the day, you just had VHS tapes. You know, I remember like before, Before you could take a screenshot of something, I would take a Polaroid photo of my TV. Imagine pausing a VCR and taking a Polaroid and covering the flash and taking a picture of your TV glass screen, right? Mm -hmm. I look at the picture. That's how old I am. Uh, But as as DVD came along, you could pause a picture. I mean, I, I, I remember taking a TV and a v- and a DVD player out to my garage and pausing the DVD and you look at it real carefully and so what I did uh, part of my story about the Back to the Future DeLorean time machine is uh, back in 2004 I got in my uh, Ford Ford station wagon I drove that some bitch all the way to LA from Dallas got myself a hotel bought a three day pass at Universal Studios Hollywood. And back then, they still had the Back to the Future, the ride, and they had the DeLorean sitting outside. And I asked one of the employees there, I go, who's in charge of the car? Like, who's the guy in charge of the transportation? Oh, that's such and such. I went and found that guy, and I said, what's it going to take for me to get access to this car? You know, uh, I've got a tape measure. I've got uh, some, I'd like to make some notes. I'm going to build a replica of it. I want to measure things. He goes, ah, we can't do that. We can't let people touch a car. I go, I was like, sure you can. I was like, uh, what's this going to take here? I've got some. Uh, <laughs> guy says, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, let's meet up on my lunch break, and uh, I'll take you to go visit the car. So I got access to the car. I took measurements. I looked, wrote down serial numbers, whatever I could find on the car. Also, I watched the movie, and at the end of the movie, you know, you watch the credits, and it says, special effects props, Kevin Pike. Well, I Google Kevin Pike. I call this dude up. I said, you worked on Back to the Future? He goes, yes, we did. I go, I'd like to hire you as a consultant for the day. What would you charge me to consult with me about Back to the Future? He goes, oh, I charge, you know, 500 bucks, whatever. I go, okay. Well, what was this part? Well, we went down to this junkyard. What was the junkyard? Well... I'll take you down there. So I went back to LA. We went to the ju- same junkyards and electronic places where they, they went in 1985. And lo and behold, they had some of the exact same stuff oh. <laughs> still on the shelf years later. I mean, I have so many stories about how I found parts there. Like there's these little metal, metal canisters on the back of the car and they were using them as parts bins. They had them, they had them everywhere. They were lined up with like nuts and bolts in them. And I, I was like, 
the hell? This is the thing on the back of the car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I want to buy this. And the lady's like, no, no, no. It's, a, it's a for my nuts and bolts. I go, I'll buy all the nuts and bolts. Just, I was just like, Shh, I, I just want this can. Right. And, right. you know, you can do whatever you can with it, you know, with what, whatever, you, you know, I have a friend who's a, a prop builder. Um, and during the, the, the late 90s, we worked in, when I was living in, in New York, we worked um, for MTV building sets for Ricky Rackman and oh, yeah. Headbangers Ball. And he would, he, I have would a... he would be building walls and stuff. And he's like, you know, it'll be cool. Give me that ashtray over there. And he'd take the ashtray and give it a couple of whacks and then stick it, stick it to the wall. I have one of those. I want to hear is, that story. What is that for? Where'd you get that one from? Well, MTV you know, I, War? I skipped over, you know, a whole bunch of stuff because we're talking about movie props. But 2006, I started working for uh, a drummer named Vinnie Paul. He was in a band called Pantera. And um, after that band, uh, you know, he, for those who don't know uh, heavy metal, he had a band called Pantera with his brother, uh, Daryl. And in uh, 2004, a crazy gunman uh, killed his brother. Came on stage and shot his brother. So uh, he decided to put out some of his brother's unreleased music, uh, one of which was an entire album they made with the country singer David Allen Coe uh, called Rebel Meets Rebel. It was never released. And he wanted to start his own record company. And uh, of course, I told you know, my name is Video Bob, and I told you I was doing video engineering, but you know, since the 90s, I've been making heavy metal music videos. I've done over 350 of them. You know, bands, uh, mostly, I guess, to the general public are unknown bands, but to metal people are well-known. Uh, people like Typo Negative and Gore, Megadeth, oh, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of bands. And um, I had a cable access show long before there was internet and podcasting and this kind of thing. I was doing this on cable access like Wayne's World back in the 90s, you know. <laughs> That's how we used to do it back in the day. Back in 94, 95, I had a show called Underground Connection. I had the Video Bob show. I had a thing called the Church yeah. of Howard. So uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, I was work, you know, doing cable access. And I was doing these music videos for local bands. And so Vinny hired me to work with him at his record company. We put out a book called uh, uh, Dimebag, He Came to Rock. We did a DVD called Dime Vision. That's the fun I have, which, which was a retail release product available in best awesome. buy and you know um and i did the music video for rebel meets rebel which played on headbangers ball on mtv2 best uh, heavy metal video for the year uh which featured unused or unseen video of daryl the only live performance they ever did uh together along with new footage that we put together you can find it it's called rebel meets rebel nothing to lose it has millions of views on the internet so then he started another band called hell yeah with the members of mudvane and uh, I did the videos for that. I did the first couple of music videos for them. Uh, to this day, Alcohol and Ass <laughs> uh, video is one of their top viewed videos out of all their videos. Um, and it's it's Alcoholin, like Hollin, Hollin Ass. It's Alcoholin Ass. <laughs> <laughs> but for that... Great play uh, of words. Yeah, so I also drove the tour bus. So I drove their tour bus and, you know, after I parked and cleaned the bus, then I filmed the show. So we did a DVD for that that was called, uh, you know, Hell Yeah, Below the Belt that was available in Best Buy. Then I did another DVD for them called um, Hell Yeah, Live from Dallas, also available in Best Buy. 
Um, and, you know, so I did a bunch of music videos for them. I had MTV videos going, you know, so that that was my uh, world. I mean, I did I did thousands of commercials. Um, I also used to produce NWA wrestling back uh, in the early 2000s. I was the voice of NWA, did all the voiceover stuff. Um, yeah, you know, coming up, it's down the beach severed and over the South Pedal Royale with Ken Shamrock this Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. You know, I did all this stuff. That's why I have all this recording equipment. I have a whole booth of, you know, sound effects and things where I would do those, you know, guitar center, Fender Stratocaster's only 99 bucks. You know, <laughs> my favorite line was always, prices so low, we can't tell you what they are. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so I, I did that kind of stuff. I did voiceovers, phone systems, you know. And so that's why I got the nickname Video Bob. I got that name back at probably about 93. So I've been Video Bob ever since. Um, so I did all those video things as well as, um, gosh, what else was I doing? You know, I was doing engineering. I had a TV show called Video Bob Stupid Movie of the Week, which was kind of a take on like Elvira or Joe Bob Briggs or something. You know, like we would play old horror movies and sci-fi movies, and then I would come in and, but I didn't talk over the movie or make fun of them. I would more kind of give you facts. And that show ran in 70 different cities. It came on like Saturday mornings, 3 a.m. on the worst station in town. And uh, I didn't know anybody watched it until I went out to uh, L.A. to visit my friend Larry Butler, you know. And he said, hey, I'm going to this uh, Fangoria convention because he was in a horror movie and he and he said, we're going to go there because uh, I'm making an appearance. And while I'm walking around with him, people are recognizing me because I guess my show was on in Fresno there. And all the, and all the other horror hosts and all these other horror fans, were he, he was getting jealous. He was like, I brought you as a guest and people are asking you for photos. <laughs> <laughs> so what, do, I was what like, do you like better? What, do, you like, do you like doing the cars better or do you, like, do you miss doing the videos? I mean, you're still doing videos. I see your YouTube channel has... has um, you know, I just hit really... 96,000 today, 96,000 uh, subscribers today. Um, obviously, I like to be on camera. And, you know, I think I think that was my point earlier about the cars is I use the cars literally as a vehicle for self-promotion. Mm -hmm. I do like the creative process. You know, it's very satisfying to make something. Um, but I think if I had my choice, I'd rather be a personality on screen. You know, I'd rather be a game show host or something if, if I had my way, you know, I'd love to be like a Joe Rogan, you know what I mean? That to, because I don't want to have to act and portray someone else. I just want to be me on camera. You know, I don't, I don't want to play a character just what I'm doing right now. If I could get paid to do what I'm doing now. But I got to be honest, I've, I started doing a podcast just like this one on my channel, and every single episode I would lose subscribers. <laughs> I'd lose like three or four subscribers, you know, but it was enough to just make me go. Why? Because people yeah. just want to see the cars. Right. They tune into my channel. They want to see the Rolls Royce. I have a Rolls Royce Phantom that we do videos on. Uh, they want to that that one. That car gets the most views. We did we did an oil change on a Rolls Royce Phantom. And it got over a million views. People watching us oh. change the oil on a Rolls Royce. You know, and you went to the Yugo, which was killer. <laughs> I just, I just sold the Yugo. I have a pink Yugo, and uh, I'm not gonna lie, I bought it for the views. 
And uh, but then at the end of the day, it's a Yugo. Yeah. <laughs> so I sold it on Let eBay for thirty five hundred bucks. So you, do you do you have do you have like um, cars in mind that you say, you know, if I got one of these, this is this is at least uh, you know one point five million views on this. Scale. You know, all I need to do is change the tire on this thing. And sometimes that seems to be the Rolls Royce for me. Um, but you know. People ask me all the time, what is a movie car that you've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to do the uh, family truckster from National Lampoon's, the big green uh, station wagon. You think you hate it now? Wait till you drive it. But it's it's really hard to find two of those because you got to have two of them to make one. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to find one. Sometimes the most simple cars are some of the hardest ones to find, like the A-Team van. Finding a 80s panel van, you know, G30 van or G20 van, with no windows in it, in good condition, is virtually impossible. I mean, we've done it, but it's harder to do than the DeLorean because they made like 9,000 DeLoreans, and people don't throw away DeLoreans. People don't take DeLoreans down to the junkyard and crush them for 200 bucks. They keep them right. forever, and they're stainless steel, so they don't rust. So you can find a DeLorean and fix it, right? But an 82 Trans Am? Hell, back in the 90s, you know, but when Cash for Clunkers came along, Oh, you'll give me 500 bucks for this pile of crap? Take it. So now you can't hardly find a Trans Am. You can't find an 80s G-Van. You know what I mean? Right. And, and and those old station wagons are going for a ton of money because that old ugly-looking brown and green wagon that your dad had that you hated, well, that thing got crushed, and now you can't find one no, anywhere. There's a lot of 90s cars that are just... 80s and 90s cars, they just cannot be found because nobody wanted it. Just like the Ford Taurus. You know, when we built, we did the uh, Robocop car for the 30th anniversary, which was a 1986 Ford Taurus, you know, LX sedan. First year of the car. Those are impossible to find. And it well, used to be the most popular car in America. So here was a car that you couldn't, you know, walk through parking lot without stubbing your toe on one. Now you can't find one. Right. You know, uh, and, you know, talking about the Yugo, if we're going to talk about cars, you know, the Yugo has always been considered the worst car ever made. And the interesting thing about that car is it was made by a company called Zostava that made guns and Serbia, you know, former Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. They made that same car the same way for many, many years. That car is a little tank. It's made out of steel. And it, you can still find and drive a Yugo today. But all of its competition is gone. You can't find a Hyundai Excel. You can't find a Citation or, or a Chevette. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the cars that it was its competition back in the uh, 80s, they're gone, but you could still find Yugos because they kept making them. And that you talk about a car that can drive through the mountains of Serbia. Well, I had an 88 Hyundai, and I leaned in to wipe, wipe off the window, and the fender bent in with my knee. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't find a Hyundai Excel for any amount of money. I've been looking for one just for nostalgic purposes. And, you know, some of your younger viewers wouldn't know that car, but that's the car that introduced Hyundai. It was advertised as the $5,000 car. You could walk into a dealership with $49.95 and drive out with a brand new car. Right. Yep. Yugo was $39.95. And here's yeah. the crazy part. And this, Phil Bob, how hard is it to get a hearse for the Echo? Because the, that to me is impossible. Well, it's it's the Ecto, the Ecto one. Yeah, it's a 1959 uh, Cadillac Miller Meteor. Now the car pictured there is actually a 1960 
which is almost the same car. Tail fins are a little different. And it's because the 59 is just impossible to find. You got to think that there's probably, they probably only made like, I don't know, 50 or 100 of them that year. And they had to survive all these years, you know? So we do have a 1959 that we're restoring right now. And Ghostbusters 3 wanted to buy it from me and I wouldn't sell it to them because they were having a hard time finding the cars for the, for the uh, new movie. But uh, that car there has been sold, actually. I sold it. I, I kind of regret selling it. But, you know, hey, I sold for a ton of money. <laughs> I see you're cruising <laughs> in. Yeah, so uh, I, the, the one we're going to build, we're going to put a modern uh, LS1 mo motor in it and air conditioning and make it into like a limousine. And we're going to rent it out in Vegas is the plan. We're going to do like ghost tours in Vegas. Imagine going to Vegas and you get to ride around in the Ghostbuster car. That's going to be part of our plan for our Vegas move. And then right next, right next to the Ecto-1 is, I, I think that's the, is that the front of the, the Bluesmobile? 1974 Dodge Monaco. That car was a utility car back in the 70s. They used them for police cars, taxis. Uh, that was Roscoe P. Coltrane's car in the Dukes of Hazard. That was his police car. And so when the Blues Brothers came out in 1990, the gag was that you could buy one of those cars for a hundred bucks you know, because it was a big, big pile of crap. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still big piles of crap. But now they go for, I think the last one of those I sold, I sold for like 30 grand. Because wow. they're hard to get. I have a couple of them actually right now. I have a two-door version that's just a personal beater car of mine. And then I have uh, two more that we just built. You know, I'm about to deliver a Bluesmobile to, to a dude. Um, but again, you know, people call me up all the time. They want the Ecto-1. But it's not, it doesn't exist. I, I tell people it's not for sale. You can't buy one. I mean, there aren't any. If you find one, let me know. Same thing with the Dodge Monaco. And, and all these years we've done, I think, eight of them. So we, see, we find one about every year and a half or so. But, I mean, they just, they weren't cars that you took care of because it was a kind of a poor man's working car. You know, it wasn't a fine automobile. It wasn't a Cadillac or anything. They were nice. You know, it was a mid-range, full-size car, but they weren't super expensive, and it was a working dude's car. You know, you were a guy who worked at a plant. You drove this car to work, mm -hmm. you know, and Cash for Clunkers just got rid of so many great cars over the years um, that we lost so many of these grand cars, and that's why they're now exploding in value because guys my age are going, man, I wish I could get that car that I, th you know, wanted in high school. Right. Right. Now, uh, my parents had a, a 1992 Oldsmobile Silhouette, the one that looked like, I don't know, like a giant eraser or just like yeah. a scrubber. Looked like and, a cheap wedge. Yeah, yeah. And my yeah. friends wanted to, they, they, you know, big Star Trek fans, all of us. So we wanted to turn it into a shuttlecraft yeah. from the next generation, just slap a couple of nacelles on the side. Do you, do you ever, um, do you ever turn cars into stuff like that or do you do you no. just mod them to keep them like movie accurate for earthbound beings i i do i i do try to do screen accurate stuff and and i hate to sound so capitalist but i really just try to concentrate on stuff that makes money because no one who comes to me and says i want to take a silhouette and make it into a landing <laughs> shuttle <laughs> Is gonna pay me anything to do it? Well, just wait. Once this broadcast goes on, I mean, the you know the the Pontiac had a version of that. Mercury had a version of it. You know, there was that was a popular minivan, 
at the time. <clears throat> and um, you can still find those once in a while for like five grand. You see them floating around. Um, but yeah, th that's a good example. Those kind of vehicles now uh, are garnering a lot of attention on the internet, you know, because you can only watch so many videos about McLarens and Ferraris and stuff before that gets old. Right. Uh, so now people are have a fantasy or, uh, or fascination, I should say, uh, about a lot of these, uh, what they call Radwood cars. That's the nickname for these nine, 80s and 90s cars, you know. And, and I find myself falling into it too, but when I was a teenager, I wanted a Mitsubishi Eclipse like everybody. A 1990, you know, 91, when the Eclipse came out, it was such a cool looking car, you know, it was so futuristic looking. I like and, the Talon um, better, the Eagle Talon. You, you're right, yeah, I, I prefer the Eagle Talon Turbo, you know, the, I mean, it that, I, and I found one recently and I was pretty close to buying it, but the dude wanted $10,000 for it. What? I was like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, this was a car that was a throwaway car. And the reason you can't find them is because it was a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've all been crushed. So, uh, you know, that's a lot of times rare doesn't mean expensive, but um, a lot of cars just dis disappeared with, you know, we, we started creating disposable cars, basically. I mean, that are no different than a Bic lighter or a, a pen, right. you know, you, you're done with it. You throw it out, you know? And, um, so that's, what's making these cars. So just like the Yugo, it's extremely rare, but look, I sell it for 3,500 bucks. It's not a lot of money. I mean, I just, you know, stuff doesn't cost, you know, the, the, things are so much more expensive now. You know, when I think about when I was younger, what something cost and the value you got for your money. Just like, uh, now listen, I make a good living. So I, I buy frivolous things because I just bought this pair of shoes and they were like 800 bucks pair of shoes. And a couple, couple of my employees, they just couldn't even fathom this, you know, because right. I know what I pay. I know what I pay them. You know, they <laughs> they're not buying $800. Shoes. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Um, what was one car that, it's a movie car that you are thinking about making, but you have not done yet. Well, I think it was that family truckster I mentioned earlier. I've always wanted to do that uh, from National Lampoons. Uh, I've kind of done them all. Um, you saw the Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah, I did Jurassic Park. I did Knight Rider, the A-Team, the Blues Brothers, Back to the Future. I mean, I've done all the big ones. I've never done a Batmobile, but I've never really been into comics and Batman and Batman. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the 89 Keaton Batmobile is cool. That's that one's cool. But um, I also don't like cars that aren't real cars because you can't actually drive it. Right. You know, like, I mean, you might be able to make it drive on a flat movie set, but you can't, you've never seen one going down the road and there's a reason, you know? So well, you're the one you're building for yourself, the 35th, you know, DeLorean, that's for oh, yeah. you. That, well, that's going to be that my car. This one. Uh, well, that's going to be our Vegas car, but it's it's when I say it's my car, it's going to be one that I'm not going to sell. I don't know how much I'm going to actually drive it around. Uh, I mean, listen, I'm spoiled rotten. I drive a Rolls Royce Phantom, as I mentioned. Uh, I enjoy comfort. I'm 46 years old. I like air conditioning. Um. <laughs> I mean, they, listen, the, the DeLorean has air conditioning. But 
we're trying to turn uh, this car into as much of a Cadillac as we can. We've installed a custom electronic power steering system in the car. We're modifying the air conditioning to, to be as maximized as it can be. Uh, we're probably going to put a custom engine in the car. We're putting in a rear view video camera system uh, that'll be active all the time, like the new Cadillacs have that have mm -hmm. the, it looks like a rear view mirror, but it's actually a screen. Because uh, you can't see out the back, right? Yeah, because you can't see out the back. You know, you can't see out the front. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it was made for a, a movie for a dude that was 5'2". Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, so we're trying to make the car as usable as we can. Plus, we want to rent the car and let people drive it, which I know sounds insane. So we had but to make still. a car that we had to make a car that was an automatic. Because, these yeah, these millennial punks, they don't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> we're making an automatic with power steering, with air conditioning, with backup camera. It's going to have all right. the modern cam car is going to have. Now, are you doing, are you doing the, the part one version or the Mr. Fusion? Okay. I get asked this all the time. And let me correct you. Well, you, like everybody else. Part one and part and the Mr. Fusion They're all, is in part two. They're... Part Mr. Fusion is at the end of part one. Mm -hmm. Oh, this drives Kevin Pike crazy. Because they go, oh, this is the part two car. And he goes, Asshole, I made this car for part <laughs> one. It had a huge scene with the Mr. Fusion at the end of part one. Mm -hmm. But the Mr. Fusion is the most popular car because it was seen in all three movies. So, but in part one, you first see the plutonium chamber. Then you see the lightning rod edition, and then you see the Mr. Fusion at the end. So you see all three versions of the car. But then there becomes a, uh, you know, another version, the, the one that you see with the uh, 50s wheels mm -hmm. and the thing on the hood. Uh, and then you get a, yet another version of the car, part three, with the uh, train wheels as the cars on the train tracks. So you have all of those different versions of the car. We do the Mr. Fusion version of the car. Now, we, we also do the plutonium chamber. My car is actually both uh, because the way the car actually is is the Mr. Fusion is a, is a thing that just sits on top of the plutonium chamber. Mm -hmm. Just take that off, and the plutonium chamber is underneath. Right. Um, and that's how it really was on the movie because Mr. Fusion was just sort of a gag at the end. So what they did was they just made a platform that just covered the plutonium chamber with the Mr. Fusion adapter thing on top. And they just needed it to happen quickly. You know, it was probably something that they thought of and wrote into the script at the end. They're like, well, the car needs to be different somehow because probably in the future, you're not going to be able to get plutonium. It's going to be controlled substance like it is now. And uh, so we need to come up with another, you know, more futuristic thing that would prove that he came back from the future. So how do we prove the car came back from the future? Well, the car can fly and the car runs on cold fusion. And here we are five years after 2015. And all we can come up with is a Toyota Prius. Right. And, and, no hey, waiting. <laughs> and banana peels. Yeah, and Miller Lite. I'm still waiting for my flying car. I've been <laughs> promising this shit for 50 years. Have, have you built, uh, have you ever built any um, General Lees or do people ask you for those or are they tough to find, do you know? or? Um, a little bit. I've never done the General Lee because. 
of a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not challenging. You're just painting a 69 Charger. And I know generally guys out there are going to go, no, you have to do a push bumper. You have to put in a roll bar. You have to do the correct interior. You have to put on the correct wheels. Not get lynched in the process. That's all AutoZone stuff to me. That's too easy. That's just painting a car. And also, not to get into a political conversation, but I don't want to deal with its um, association. Right. It doesn't bother me uh, at all, Uh, which, by the way, I recently had a bit of an ethical conversation with some people who were very anti the rebel flag because I have rebel flags here in my house. And the reason I have them is because, well, I don't have flags per se. I have things that have the rebel flag on them. This record was called Rebel Meets Rebel with David Allen Coe. And I made the physical CD. The cover of that CD, the artist who did the rendering of it, the, the CD is a rebel flag with bottles of whiskey and poker chips and money and and this was sold in Walmart it was sold in Best Buy it was sold at FYE it it was a number one video it was all these things back in 2006 and I have the gold records on my wall that have those rebel flags on them I have a billboard award for rebel meets web rebel and killer out by the way and I have a guitar David Allen Coe guitar that is a uh, Washburn dime bag edition, you know, and it's a rebel flag, you know, X guitar. And I have another acoustic guitar that I got that's from David Allen Coe that he signed that's an acoustic guitar, and the guitar itself is a rebel flag. And then I have another rebel flag guitar. So I have like three rebel flag guitars. And so anybody who knows the band Pantera, rebel flags are a huge part of their aesthetic. It was in their albums, it was on Daryl's guitars. And growing up, none of us looked at it as a form of racism. It's hard to explain to someone of a, of a different generation. And I can't see things through the eyes of, of, a, of a minority, of a black person who saw maybe saw that flag differently. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was me having blinders on and seeing it only what I wanted to see. So now in this new generation, we have to make the decision to say to ourselves, Okay, it doesn't matter what our view of the rebel flag was. What matters is what some what these other people feel like it represents. And do I want to now with this new information offend them? Right. So I, I had to, you know, I took down some of this stuff. I still have my gold records and I still have the guitars that have the rebel flags on them. And I've been struggling with it lately saying, you know, I have people who come over here and they're not going to appreciate that. We have a new, gen- this is a no- new generation now. Things change. And um, what do I do? You know, do I take down my greatest awards? The things I've worked so hard for that I'm so proud of because they now have these symbols on them that are considered racist and hateful. So the General Lee is another one of those examples. When somebody comes to me and they go, well, I want you to build me a General Lee. I go, no, I'm not building you a car with a rebel mm-hmm. flag on the roof, and I'm also not building a car incomplete. So I'm just not going to do it. Right. So every time somebody brings up that car, it all of this goes through my head. And 
I know David Allen Coe, the, the country singer. He stays here at the house. He's a personal friend. Uh, and he he did some novelty racist songs in the 60s. I think that's well known. And he's explained to me, he goes, you know, it was a different time. You know, you used to watch television and movies, and they said the N-word freely on television and movies and in songs. You know, I was watching some old Eddie Murphy uh, stuff. He was my one of my favorite comedians. And you think about, uh, you said you worked for MTV. Their theme song was Dire Straits, I Want My MTV. And they say the the F word for gay all through that song. Yeah. They also make fun of minorities. Look at this monkey banging on those bongos. <laughs> That's his own hair. That, you know, I'm not going to say the word because I don't want YouTube mm -hmm. to flag it. But, you know, you watch any movie from anything from the early 80s, mid 80s. I was watching The Breakfast Club and there's... Um, Michael Anthony Hall calling each other the F word, you know. Uh, so it was just, I understand, David, when he says, you know, it was, a, it was a different time. People used the N word in a comical fashion. And it was a more accepted word. You heard it on the radio. You saw it in movies. You know, uh, you'd see black exploitation films with the N word in the title of the film, you know. Right. Um, and so... I I always bring this up as an example. I know that we've gone in a completely different direction, but mm -hmm. but it does have to do with with the projects I choose now. Right. Uh, a customer of mine who bought uh, I went on a TV show called uh, Auction Kings in, in Atlanta, sold a door in Time Machine. The guy that bought the car uh, is a guy who like he invented like the glow stick or something, made a lot of money doing that, and he has a novelty company. So whenever you buy the little bracelets and necklaces and earrings that are glow sticks, that's his company, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a Jewish guy, and his and his parents, I guess, or his grandparents were, you know, um, survivors of the Holocaust. And for whatever reason, that triggered him to collect Nazi memorabilia, which is odd. That's weird. <clears throat> well, I guess it's just a, it's all about remembering history. And I was looking at his collection. And I noticed this little brass lighter. I had it sitting here. I've had it for years. I don't know. I'd have to find it. It's a little brass lighter with a swastika on it. But the swastika is on top of a four-leaf clover. And I said, that's interesting. He said, you know what? You can have that. I don't want that. And I was like, well, why would I want this? He goes, he said, that's not a Nazi lighter. That's why I don't want it. It's, it's not part of the collection. He said, previous to the 40s, when the Nazis took over, uh, and started using that symbol. It was an Irish good luck charm. Like in the 20s, you know, you could buy a lighter with this four-leaf clover with that symbol on it. But as that symbol became known as a symbol of hate, people got rid of this stuff because now it meant something else. Mm -hmm. So this stuff is extremely hard to find. It's hard to find these keychains, these necklaces, these rings, these lighters, because people saw that symbol and they got rid of it. It's what makes it so rare. And I think about that often when I look at the world that we're in now politically, and I, I look at things like the rebel flag, and I go, wow, when I was growing up, you could just go down to, you know, you could go buy yourself a General Lee and play with it, and you saw that little symbol on it, and it didn't mean anything to you as a white kid or maybe even a black kid. If you were watching the TV show, I didn't say anything racist on that TV show. Mm -hmm. But as things change and as hate groups started adopting this that that flag and and using it as a vehicle to promote their message, well, 
it, it's unfortunately it soured what was a good thing. So now I'm in a situation where I walk into my uh, room and I have one of my greatest achievements on the wall. And it's marred by what is now considered a symbol of racism. Right. Maybe it was always considered a symbol of racism and I just didn't acknowledge it is really what their argument is. And uh, it's tough for me because I love the Dukes of Hazard. I love the General Lee, but I wouldn't all I wouldn't be caught dead near a 69 orange charger right now. <laughs> so let me let me ask you I, I, for that long explanation. So yeah, no, I I I um looking at um some I Googled your name, of course, and looking at some of the pictures that come up when when you do um, Google video Bob. You you have like I have I have this one here. Not to, not to surprise you or anything, but um, oh, you know, okay. what you, <laughs> when uh, what, you know times like this, like you know, you mentioned when you go to <laughs> go to Australia and you, and people come over for your uh, they geek <clears throat> out on you. Who is it that you geek out over and want to uh, you know some of the, the the coolest people you've met or would like to meet? Um, like here in the in the picture with 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 uh, Doc Brown himself. Um, wow, that's a. I'm trying to think of some people. I think I think um, one of the few. T I don't get starstruck often. I think one of the few times I I literally started getting weak in the knees is when I met Meatloaf because I'm a big Meatloaf fan. Um, working for Vinnie Paul and touring, driving his bus and stuff. He was such a huge celebrity that uh, he afforded me the ability to meet some amazing rock stars. So you go through my house, there's pictures of me and every major rock star you can think of. I mean, Lemmy, Dio, uh, you know, whether it's ACDC, Metallica, Judas Priest. You know, I got to actually perform with Judas Priest a couple of years ago at the Whiskey A Go-Go because I did a uh, rock and roll fantasy camp, and I'm a huge Judas Priest fan. I actually do a tribute band to Judas Priest called Turbo Lover where I portray rob halford and i can i can't sing as good as he can but because no one can only dogs can hear what he sings <laughs> but, uh, i do my best and then i have another 80s band where i do 80s music and so i've uh, been able to become uh friendly with like for instance some of the guys from kiss gene simmons uh and um uh you know eric singer their their drummer uh who replaced peter chris um, he actually lives in Vegas. Uh, I text with him often. He's, he's like, Hey dude, I can't wait to come over to your new house. I'm like, this is amazing. Uh, I have a, actually, I'm actually friends with a lot of amazingly cool drummers like Johnny Kelly, the drummer from typo negative was over here just the other day, bringing me, uh, a Danzig drum head. Cause he, he, he also works with Danzig. Uh, he's playing quiet riot right now. Uh, he's been in a lot of great bands cause he's just a fantastic drummer, you know, and guys like that are never out of work, you know, so everybody wants them. It was the same thing with Vinnie Paul. Like, what well, you know, he, he he turned down. He used to call me up and he'd be like, "Dude, Billy Idol just called me, wanted me to be drummer in his band." You know, and I was like, "Really? You should do it." He goes, "I'm not playing Billy Idol." You know, like <laughs> he goes, "I love Billy Idol, but like that would be a step down for him because b those kind of bands are so frontman heavy. Other than Steve Stevens, you couldn't name a single member of the band. You know what I mean? It's like it, he didn't want to be one of those guys. He felt like that was a downgrade. You know, uh, whereas <laughs> in Hell Yeah, like people. They only went to see the band because they're like, 
I wish these other guys in the band would move so I could see Vinnie Paul because that's Vinnie Paul from Pantera, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it was Vinnie Paul from Pantera and some other guys, you know? Even though Mudvayne was a pretty big band, nobody gave a crap. They were there to see Vinnie Paul. And now that he died, uh, you know, that band is kaput. Nobody's going to go see them. Nobody cares. So the thing about it is uh, he afforded me the ability to get to, I got to meet everybody. Uh, but some of these were were rather prostitutional, you know, like Gene Simmons, he does a uh, meet and greet. It costs $6,000 and uh, you pay six grand. Yeah, it's six grand and you get to go meet him and spend time with him, but you, you get his bass guitar. So he gives you the big ax bass and signs it, the case. uh, And he, he, he literally gave me like bass lessons. I spent like four hours with the dude. I played cold gin with him. I'm singing with him. He's very attentive. I mean, it was worth every penny. It's, we're talking about a lot of money, but I have a real Gene Simmons bass, the same one he plays on stage, signed by him. I get to spend the whole day with him. And I literally became friends with him. I have his email, uh, and I did a couple other meet and greets. I mean, I paid for them, but he remembered me every time. Hey, video Bob, what's happening? You know, he remembered me well, and I got to be quite, you know, friendly with the guy. And um, so I've done some of his experiences that I've paid for, but you know, we definitely know each other. And then I got to know, uh, uh, Eric a little bit as well. And, um, I got to kind of become part of the kiss army, the kiss family meeting, uh, the people who work, you know, behind the scenes, you know, got my kiss cup there that I carry with me every day. So I'm a big, big kiss fan. And I'm a big Judas priest fan. Those are my two, my two number ones. And I got to meet and hang out with both of them. I mean, I got to stand on the stage of the Whiskey A Go-Go and perform Living After Midnight with the band Judas Priest, wow. where me and Rob Halford went toe-to-toe. You can find it on YouTube. You can watch it. That's but I've also awesome. had that experience with a lot of other people, you know, with Kirk Hammett and Metallica, with, uh, with uh, you know, I, I got to go to Lemmy's birthday party at the Rainbow I uh, with Vinny. I got to tour with, uh, we did Family Values, so I, I got to meet all those guys. We, we toured with um, OzFest. You know, I mean, I, I got stories of hanging out in a back room with Dio, with Tony Iommi. You know, I wanted a picture with Dio. And I asked this guy if he'd take a picture. Turned out it was Geezer Butler taking the picture of, of me and Dio. And Tony Iommi jumps in the photo. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, who has that picture, right? Um, and so I got to meet all these amazing people. So people come and they look at these pictures. They go, People don't know me. They go, who the hell are you? Like, what is, how do you have these photos of all these actors, these musicians, all these people? And a lot of times it was the car, the car, you know, like, um, you know, I would show up to an event and steal the scene and then whatever the actor or whoever it was would come out and sit in the car. And that happened many times, you know, with like Brett Michaels and, and other members of, of different places who would drop what they were doing because they love the Back to the Future car. But then as I became, as I started to become my own name, I started to get welcomed into the car community. And uh, so unless you're a real serious old school car guy, you might not know any of these names, but uh, George Barris, who built the original Batmobile, mm-hmm. he died a few years ago. I mean, I went to the SEMA Automotive Show in Vegas with him, walking around the show with George Barris. I mean, he's one of the most famous car building guys in the world. Uh, and through him, I got to meet other people like Chip Foose and uh, Gene Winfield and, um, you know, uh, Barry McGuire. And these are all names in the car industry that, you know, if you're really into cars, you would know these guys, but these are all old greasers. We're talking about dudes in their 80s and 90s. And I was at George Barris's funeral, 
uh, in LA a few years ago, and all the greatest car guys in the entire world were there. And I was really blown away and honored to find out how many of those people knew who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk up and go, hey, man, I, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'd love to meet you. go, hey, Video Bob, I know you. And I was like, you, how do you, what? what? And uh, it was, then I started to realize, I go, oh, my gosh, I, I think I've done some cool stuff because I can't believe that this guy knows who I am uh, or has heard my name before. So uh, I never in a million years thought, any part of my legacy was going to have anything to do with cars uh, because I had spent so much time and effort trying to be, you know, an actor or a comedian or a music video producer or, or whatever. You know, I, I had a comedy television show called comic spotlight. We did 10 episodes of that. I tried to be a comic that failed miserably. I am <laughs> not as funny as I think I am. Uh, comedy oh, is probably the hard. That's the hardest thing there is in the world to do. Uh, oof. If you can be a successful comedian, you can do anything. Um, now, but how I also you learned that Ghostbusters reboot. Okay, so uh, how did I end up in? The... Oh, uh, somebody sent me. Uh, <laughs> they they had put uh, a thing in the local freebie paper in uh, Boston looking for extras, and somebody who was up there who knew that it was for Ghostbusters posted it into one of the Ghostbusters forums ago oh my god guys they're making a new ghostbusters and they're looking for extras and so uh i told uh my wife rachel i go i'm driving to boston and i'm gonna be an extra in ghostbusters she's like what <laughs> i'm like you want to go i go what else are we doing let's do it she goes okay <laughs> so she took a week vacation we drove up to boston i stood in line i get to the thing they look at my id and they go this is Dallas. How long you been in Boston? I go, about 20 minutes. <laughs> and they go, uh, what, you drove here from Dallas to, to do this? You, you realize this pays 75 bucks a day. I said, listen, I have my own television series called Screen Machines that's on the Reels channel. And we built the Ecto-1. We built Ghostbuster Proton Packs. I love Ghostbusters, and I thought that if this is, I want to be part of Ghostbusters, which at the time we were calling Ghostbusters 3, but it isn't, right? And they said, hold on just a second. And she gets on the radio. Somebody comes over, and they, and they said, uh, come with us. They take me into the wardrobe, and they go, all right, this guy, leave him exactly like he looks, right? And I wore this outfit. They go, we Googled you. We know who you are. We want you in the movie. They put me at the very front of this scene and I'm shooting this. We're there for three days shooting this scene. So if you watch the movie, the 2016 Ghostbusters answered the call, they're in the concert series, catching the green dragon. You'd see me standing at the front of the stage clear as day. You can't miss me. I'm wearing this right here. Well, Paul Feig, the director comes over to me and goes, "Uh, video Bob, can you stay here an additional three days? Uh, I know you were only scheduled for three days, but but we need some pickup shots, and we would like some close-ups of you because you're so distinctive looking that if you leave, we're going to have to try to make a double of you. I go, no, no, I'll stay, I'll stay. You, I said, as long as I'm in the movie, he, said, he says, bring the monitor over here. He goes, you see this bald guy right here? That's you. We need you standing here. So I stood there for six days in the same spot, 
as they filmed them catching this dragon. Well, little did I know it's going to be the most hated movie in all of history. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I was hanging out with the cast and crew afterwards. You know, we were, you know, BSing everything. I got to be friendly with them. Uh, I had given copies of my TV show to all the actors. They would come out and in between scenes, they'd be like, hi, Video Bob. You know, we watched your show in our trailer. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. You know, and the, dir the director, Paul Feig, knows me by name. And I'm just an extra. But I wasn't SAG after so I wasn't allowed to have a speaking line. You know, he said, I can't give uh, you a spoken line because you're not union. You're, 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 a tech, you know, so I can just have you stand here. I go, okay. So I screwed myself out of having the ability to have a, to say, cause you know, even if I just go, ah, they can't record your voice <laughs> unless you're a union guy. Right. But anyway, uh, so That's how you, I got into the union now. Are you in the union no. now? No. The downside to being in a union is if you are in a union, you can't do any reality shows because reality shows don't hire right. union people. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I'm probably not going to be doing any acting, but I probably will continue cameo because I've cameoed in a lot of reality shows. I've done Food Network shows, you know, AMS Pictures that did my thing is here in Dallas, and they all the time have me do something. Like I'm about to do. They want to use my tour bus for something they're doing. And so they'll have me on screen, tour bus driver, tour bus, you know, and they'll rent the bus because I have a Prevo tour bus uh, or whatever. I was on a Food Network show with them called Dallas Cakes where we where they made a DeLorean shaped cake. And then I gave it away to the cast of Back to the Future. Um, so I do other reality show cameos. and I'll probably return to Pawn Stars again and shows like that. And if you're union, you can't do those those things because they they don't do that. Right. right. Well, let me well, ask you this: You were able to meet John Landis, mm. and you, you had the Blues Brothers vehicle there. What was that like to meet the man himself? See, I just, I could keep you here for hours with these stories. It's all because of the cars. John Landis is on the Dallas Film Commission, and my friend uh, runs the Alamo Draft House, uh, James Wallace, and and um, he. Uh, you know, we knew they were going to be doing a 40th anniversary of Animal House with John Landis in attendance. So we run down there with the Bluesmobile, and as John Landis pulls up in the in his, you know, the car they brought him in, there's the Bluesmobile, and there we are standing out there. And he gets out with a big smile on his face, and he comes over, and and we go, John, we're a huge fan. Could you take a picture with us and sign an autograph? He goes, Of course I will. Any any guys who show up here with a car like this, absolutely. He goes, This is my baby. And we're, and we're BSing with John, and I said, hey, have you ever seen on Route 66 in Joliet, Illinois, there's a Bluesmobile up on a pole? He goes, yes, I have. I've seen that. He goes, I built that car. I've built like eight Bluesmobiles. He goes, you're the guy. I go, I'm the guy ripping you off your show. <laughs> I'm that guy plagiarizing your movie. And he's like, I love it. I love it. He goes, your work is fantastic. He goes, you know, people send me pictures of that car all the time. I've seen it in person. I've taken a picture with that car. He says, give me your address. He takes out his thing. He writes down my address. A few days later, a box appears, priority box. And in the box is a handwritten letter from John Landis thanking me for being a fan. And he gave me screen-used patches, police patches, from the police, the Lake Wazapamonte police and the Illinois State of Corrections. He gave me some exclusive Blues Brothers 
uh, things that weren't available in the U.S. and some toys. He just gave me a little gift packet from his desk, you know, and uh, I was like, this is amazing that now John Landis, who is director of this, knows me, my name, knows me by name, mailed me a gift box. And it was because he was just an appreciation of me appreciating him back. Uh, so I have so many amazing stories of stuff. There's always a, you know, usually you'll see a picture of me with somebody and there's so much more to it than just a fleeting moment where I snapped a picture because a lot of the times there's a backstory to the picture, you know, mm -hmm. where we spent some time together or something happened after the photo or before the photo or, you know, and that was one of the great things about working with Vinnie Paul because I'd be at his house and maybe uh, Dave Navarro is over there or something. Uh, and Dave Navarro says to me, hey, man, uh, can you call me a taxi? I need a ride. I go, I'll give you a ride. He's like, nah, you don't have to do that. I go, ah, it's on the way. I'll give you a ride. And next thing you know, me and Dave Navarro are at the Waffle House having chili at 3 in the morning. You know, and people are like, what is this photo? And I'm like, well, that was the time that, you know, there's pictures of me and various rock stars or whoever in everyday life situations. And they're like, how did this happen? You know, how did you end up? cooking fajitas with matte shadows from Avenged seven hopefold or or you know why why are you and uh you know dan Aykroyd, you know behind this bar drinking vodka you know and i'm like hey it's just it's either i was with somebody who was amazing or i had one in my cars you know i always it's kind of a coattail rider situation i'm either riding the coattails of my car or one of my rock stars friends but after you know, about 20 years of that, I finally got my own coattails to ride mm -hmm. and started, you know, doing my own things, you know, and there was nothing more both embarrassing and satisfying than walking through a grocery store with Vinnie Paul and someone came up to us and went, they, somebody came up and go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. And Vinnie grabs his pen and he starts to get ready to write an autograph and they go, Video Bob, I love your show. <laughs> And they push Vinny out of the way, and he's standing there going. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is Vinny Paul. And they go, who? <laughs> oh, I don't listen to heavy metal. I listen to. And he's just like. <laughs> that happened once. But no, no, no. Uh, everybody knew who Vinny Paul was. He was the autobiography, uh, man. He. That that dude changed my life so much. I I have, there, I, I owe him an incredible lot because he gave me a launching platform that I would have never had. He gave me the opportunity to have my videos played on MTV. I miss him every single day of my life. It's it's um, it's it's like I'm missing a finger or something. Like it's just um, every single day I open up that Facebook memories or whatever. Like there he is, you know. I, right. He was such a he was a brother and a father and a friend to me. And um, I don't think I could ever express to him how much he meant to me. I mean, I told him and he knew it. And we remained friends up until the night he died. I texted him the night that he died, you know, because uh, uh, and we texted each other every day. And it's it's these last couple of years without him has been really, really hard because, um, listen, we weren't like best friends like he was with his assistant. But we were in constant touch with each other. And I mean, and listen, they did trusted me enough. Like, you know, I went and stayed with him at his house for Christmas. He would he would let me stay at his house while he wasn't there, use his cars. I mean, we had a really close relationship, obviously. So, you know, we were we were more than friends. But um, 
it's it's been really hard with Adam because he he definitely made a huge huge difference in my life as far as all these you know he gave me all these opportunities I would that I would have never had without him 100 percent give him that that credit you know whatever my talents are whatever is irrelevant because there's people out there that went to school to learn graphic design and they will never have a full page ad in a international magazine but I had full page ads in metal magazines monthly because I worked for his record company and he would call me up because I need a I need a full page ad for this CD you know and uh like the reason I know Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative is cuz he had a band called uh, Seventh Void which was on our label and I worked with him so you know like I would do a full page ad for Seventh Void and then we would pl- put it in like Metal Hammer or whatever magazine and so and I don't have a degree in arts I don't have a graphic design disease. I just went on to Photoshop and slapped this thing together. And there it is, a full page ad and, you know, uh, Metal Edge. And mm-hmm. I know people that went to school that are still paying, paying student loans and they'll never get an ad inside of a national magazine. So, you know, I got opportunities. You know, I probably would have never gotten videos on MTV uh, had it not been the ability to work with him. So I definitely owe him a lot of credit uh, for that. Um, and so I, I just, for, that's why I have, uh, yeah, it's hard to show it, but I, I, I tattooed his little autograph right here on my, on my arm. It's in a position that's kind of hard to show it. But, um, when he died, I tattooed that on my arm because, um, I know he's always with me. Right. Right. Well, video Bob, I want to thank you for spending the, uh, the last hour and 15 minutes with us. It's been a, an honor to to live life through your eyes and to learn um, about everything that you've, that you've done. And, and I, I, when you finally make the move, um, I would really much like to uh, maybe get back in contact with you. And uh, once you're all set up, maybe we we'll do this again and see how you're doing in, uh, in Vegas. Um, you know, I haven't closed on the house yet. We are like a day or two away from the funding. And uh, at the time of this recording, uh, you know, the, the election results haven't been posted yet. And I don't know if that's going to affect things, you know. Right. And so I'm really, I'm really worried because, you know, the, we're in an unstable times. And uh, my, I'm just on the edge of my seat because buying a, a property of this magnitude is kind of difficult uh, in today's times, you know. And the plan is to move the whole shop to Vegas. My, some of my employees are going with me. I'm combining my house and my shop together. Uh, we've got a one-acre property over on the east side, in between uh, Tropicana and Russell, uh, on Mountain Vista area. Over, you know, it's over towards the east side. But we're only still ten or fifteen minutes from the strip, and we're going to be building our cars there. We're going to be renting our cars. We're going to be doing all the stuff that Bob's Prop Shop does. I'm sure that I'll be in a couple of bands out there just as much, just as well. And, you know. Uh, People keep asking me, what are you going to go to Vegas for? I go, dude, have you been there? It's awesome. I've been dreaming of living there my whole life. I just could never afford to do it. I could never manage to to do it. And now I'm in a position where I can. Uh, but with COVID and the political things happening, it just makes it uh, more difficult. Because if all I had to do was go out there and buy a house, that'd be easy. I have to buy a house and also have you know, my shop. And combining that into one place is a difficult thing. I've been looking for our property for like three years, and I finally found one. And, um, 
you know, if I don't get this house, it's just not going to work. I'll be delayed again for who knows how long. So I'm hoping this works out. And uh, if all goes well, uh, I'll be out there within a few months. And that's the plan. And if the country gets opened back up uh, and everything gets going back the way it should be, you'll be able to come to Vegas. You'll be able to go on ghost tours in the Ectel one You'll be able to drive the DeLorean time machine up and down the strip. We'll have that yellow Scarface car going up and down the strip. We'll have Knight Rider, Scooby-Doo van, and all kinds of cool stuff. Well, and, I look forward to it. Great. You know, my, uh, my son is, is stationed uh, just three hours away um, in 29 Palms, so I uh, would definitely love to come by and visit you. And thank you once again for joining us today. We right. really, really appreciate it. How long is the show normally? Oh, about 45 minutes. <laughs> so you either have two shows or you have your world's longest show. You know, I might I might break this up into a two-parter. We can get somebody with a with a cool voiceover uh, room that could say next week, part two. We can make that happen. Okay. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Geek and I. Well, we want to I'm thank you for joining that, us on right? the Geek and I. Hey, Jeff, what did you think? Oh, sorry. I just got so excited. How cool was that? He's, I mean, this guy is extraordinary. I, I don't even, I'm so nervous right now. He's just such a great guest. I'm sh literally shaking at his greatness. And it was just such an uh, enjoyable, um, just to sit here and listen to his stories is, is just is just amazing. So, um, thanks for being here again uh, this week, Jeff. We will uh, we'll see you again next week. Um, as you know, we are part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Uh, visit uh, geeknewsnow.net for all your geeky news and information. We are also sponsored by Sumner Twins Talent. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sumner Twins. And we are sponsored by Metallic Dice Games for everything you need uh, for your gaming experience. Uh, just go to metallicdicegames.com, use code GNN at checkout, and save 10%. You can find us at facebook.com slash geekandipodcast, and uh, we will see you again in seven days, right, Jeff? Oh, yeah, we'll see you again, as we say, on the next one. Layers. <laughs>